0: My name is Joel Hirsch, uh I'm the organizer of this uh Era of the And uh I I wanted to thank mm-hmm. Kilat, Chief Israel, uh, Ian Kl- Klotnik, who was my liaison for this, and of course Radani uh, for being for be able to host uh, this Air of the Importantly, I'd like to acknowledge Arnie Beller, and uh, thank her very much for helping and coordinating this evening. Allow me to introduce myself, particularly for those from Shite Yisrael who who don't know me. I'm not, uh, I do, I am a Ranana, but I don't live, uh, I don't, don't live in this part of town, and so as such, I'm, uh, I wasn't very much, I wasn't often here on Shabbat, I was here every week. Uh, a long time ago, I met Danny Veller, uh, who used to learn in the base medrash of Yeshiva at a few rows behind me. Uh, we were both alt alter bacham, old guys, having finished college, not so old nowadays, and from abroad, from Kutzlarts, and learning Yeshiva. And it was at that time that I grew friendly with Danny. Subsequently, I returned to the U.S. Uh, to continue my professional training, and I was lucky enough to attend his wedding uh, with Arnie, to Arnie in Queens. Uh, and then when our fa- family came on Aliyah in 1999, and we were considering where to live, I turned to my old friend, uh, who had been previously rabbi in South Africa, uh, but had just returned here to Ranana, to Shifte two years earlier. Upon arriving here in Ranana, we imid- immediately renewed our friendship in the context in which it began, namely Torah learning. We maintained a weekly chavrusa for more than 15 years, I think, where we could return to our youth and to the benches of the Deis Medrash. Uh, there is little question that Yeshivat Harzion was the Torah crucible for rebellers. There he found his home as a striving uh, Torah who sought to establish and expand as much as possible his Torah knowledge. I think that, that there were at least three features that Danny found in the yeshiva, things to which he gravitated and upon which he built. First, Rav Beller was an intellectual. He enjoyed intellectual discourse, rigorous and organized thinking, Thorough investigation. This he found in great plenty in the yeshiva, it being one of the examples of a classic litvisha yeshiva, transplanted here to Israel, a yeshiva where the standard of learning was at the highest levels in terms of analysis and profundity. The electricity of the base medrash drew him in and energized him. So there was one feature which I think captured Danny. The second, he found an openness in the yeshiva, which was very central to to the person he was. Yeshiva Tartion has a reputation for this, and sometimes l'shutsa. However, upon further clarification, what he and others have found was an openness to think about Torah in fearless ways without stepping that are in fearless ways out of the box while still being completely grounded in the tradition without stepping outside the basic principles of Torah faith. A wonderful example of this is the development of Tanakh learning, what has become a really global Torah enterprise and has drawn so many people into Torah learning. While Haradzon is not the exclusive player in this development, <coughs> it has been unquestionably a principal one. Indeed, Rebeller introduced to a great degree this here in Kilat Shivte Yisrael to, I think, really great success. The third feature that I wanted to focus on was that Danny found leaders in the yeshiva with whom he could identify, admire, and emulate. Of course I refer to the Rashi Yeshiva Rav Mital, Zeher Tzadikli Raka and Rav Lichtenstein Zeher Tzadikli Raka but also to the Raman These persons, their approach to life, to Judaism to Torah and other human beings animated and elaborated Danny's own wonderful character These teachers brought respect, honor and integrity to Torah and served as a never ending source for him Rebeller was an extraordinary person and I say this as a gush guy in, 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 in quotes. People who are generally hypercritical and not given to undeserved superlatives. One of his extraordinary talents was to bring those resources, those resources that he acquired from the yeshiva into forms outside the ivory tower. And this peculiar talent, I estimate he may have been unsurpassed. This ability Am Yisrael desperately needs and so will be sorely without. I would argue that there are very few Haratzion graduates who could translate again in quotes the Torah from the yeshiva as well as he. And so to honor his memory, we thought it only fitting to invite teachers from the yeshiva that he loved and respected to teach us Torah. May these and then be so I'd like to introduce Raviar Khan. Raviar Khan was grew up in Brooklyn. He went on to learn at Yeshiva Harzion after completing his high school education high in Chaim Berlin, uh, a black yeshiva in, in in the but he went to the right side. <laughs> he came You're talking to South he, Africa. He, he returned to he returned to Yeshiva University and subsequently returned to Harzion. He did his uh, army service there. He continued learning in the yeshiva. Uh, he and during his uh, year at uh, after being back from from Machal, he I met him in, at the uh, Yeshiva University, and uh, I I consider myself a Talmud Haver and he helped bring me to the Yeshiva, and subsequently he was report, uh, appointed around many years ago I think 1987 was it 1987 1986. So, he has or taught time. Bnei Chutzlarets and has uh, Dir along with ma- his many contributions to the vers- virtual based medrash, which I, if you don't know of, I urge you to Google and r- learn about. It's a valuable internet source, sponsored by Shiva Hartson. Further ado, please, recon. I'm going to try to translate uh, the base
1: medrash to the Kivai, here I I was already told that I can't do it well. So we'll talk about it. Uh, I'm going to talk about Eish and Nair Tamid. Uh, we normally identify Ner Tamid as the little light that you have in the shul uh, that remains constantly lit and never goes out. Uh, but I'm referring to Ner Tamid that you have in the mikdash in the temple uh, and the H Tamid that you have on the altar on the Mizbech. Um, I think uh, it's uh, specifically relevant to talk about the mikdash. Um, during this uh, this season, where we're a few days before Shivasa Betamuz, when we recall the the Beis Hamikdash, mourning over the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash uh, assumes that you know what the Beis Hamikdash was. You appreciate it. You appreciate its meaning. You appreciate its messages, and therefore I think it's specifically um, timely to speak about the Beis Hamikdash. Uh, in addition, I think that ideas of the Mikdash, if understood properly, can have an impact on our lives as well, even in the post-Mekvish era. Uh, what I want to talk about specifically, I'll begin with, are the, um, the uh, fire that you had on the mizbeach. Okay. You had to bring sacrifices or offerings. Burnt offerings had to be burnt. So they were burnt on the altar. And of course, we had fire in the altar. Uh, but the fire in the altar is not so simple. Let's take a look at the first source on your page. The Gemara says that there was smoke that came out of the fire. And the Gemara in Yoma says, <laughs> Was there really any smoke on the fire of the Mizbeach? <laughs> Five things were said about the fire on the Mizbeach. First of all, Revutza kari was crouched down, the fire crouched down like a lion. We're not going to interpret this, obviously, this has to be interpreted symbolically. Uvar Kachama, it was bright and pure, like the sun. V'yesh v'amamesh, it actually had actually physical content. It was just gases that were burning. It had actual content. V'ochel slachim ki'vashin would burn things that were moist. It would burn things that were dry with the same ease. mal Ashan, and there was no smoke that would come out. So the Gemara says, ki minam b'dehedyo. When we were referring to smoke coming out of the the fire on Rezbech, we're talking about the fire that the that the Kohanim, Lit on the Mizbeach. The, the Kohan would bring fire onto the Mizbeach. Even though fire would come down from the heavens, it would be a divine fire. Nevertheless, there's also a human fire. On the Mizbeach, you had two different fires. You had a divine fire as well as a human fire. It was important that a human being should also have a certain amount of, 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 of impact. There should be human input as well. We don't rely only on the fire that comes down from the heavens. That was miraculous fire, it was divine fire, it had no smoke, it had no, it was a pure fire, but it was also a human fire. And a human being is supposed to also add his fire to the back as well. Um, if, you, if we take a look at the Pasuk in, uh, in uh, Pasha Shemini, when it talks about when they built the Mishkan, when they finished constructing the Mishkan, everything was on hold, and they waited for God to appear before them. How did that happen? Source number two, Fire came down from the heavens, and it came down and burnt the offering. <coughs> so you had a, a divine fire on the Mishbeach, but nevertheless, it was important that every day, the Kohanim should come and add to that divine fire by bringing an additional fire coming from the head yoga. Okay? When we talk about the fire on the Mizbayak, so the the circle that talk about the kohanim actually lighting the fire on Mzbeach, read as follows. Source number three. Zosteratola hi Olah al Mokta al Mzbehlaila fruit which is on the Mokeid. The Moked is the fire on the Mizbeach. Ara Bokir Vaisha Mzbeach to Kaibo and the fire of the Mizbeach should burn within it. Vaish al Mizbeach to Kabh. Again, repetition. The fire on the zbeach should, should should burn. It should never go out. And the, kohan, the Kohanim should go ahead and burn wood on the zbeach every morning. Um, let's give a few words. You know, a, a constant fire should burn the zbeach and it should never go out. And one read his p'sukim knows immediate, notices, notices immediately the repetition. There's a lot of repetition in these p'sukim. Um, and I... I bolded the repetition so that you should notice what the Gemara does with it. The Gemara in Yomah, the Mishnah actually says, Bechol Yom, source number four, Hayusham Arba Ma'arachot. And every day, the mizbeach was very, very large. It was 32 Amos on 32 Amos. There were four different sites of fire on the mizbeach. The Hayom, on Yom Kippur, they would add a fifth. Divir Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yossi Yom, Bechol Yom Shalosh, there would only be three, not four. There would only be three every day they would add a fourth everybody agrees that they would add another word on Yom Kippur the question is what is the basic amount of fire that you had on the back? two, three, or four um, the Gemara in source number five goes and dashes the P'sukim uh, that I mentioned before in the repetition of the P'sukim to find out where you know two from where you know three from, where you know four from what do the different tanaim think uh, I made a, a, a table here just to make things easier for you, so we don't have to go through all the, the, the details. Um, first of all, there was the Marachah Gedola, the great fire, and that was the fire that we, was used to burn all the sacrifices. All the offerings were burnt on that Marachah Gedola. That was the main Marachah. <coughs> that everybody agrees. With that. That's burnt out from Allah Al Mukdam The second fire was used for the tourists the Ketoros, they would take fire from the Mizbeach that was outside the Heichal, they would take the, that, that fire, they would bring it in inside the, the structure of the temple itself, and over there there was another altar called the, the Golden Altar or the mizbach Ketoros, and over there they would bring the fire and bring the Ketoros, and then they would be Mark of the Ktoris. Where would that fire come from? It would come from the altar outside, it's called the mizbach Ketoroshe, from the altar outside, it was outside the structure of the, of the sanctuary, and uh, so that was another side of the fire that everybody agrees to. Those two fires everybody agrees to. The third is already a disagreement. The third fire is called Esh L'Qim, right? Le-Kium, you know, it's, it's, it's to be the Esh, L'Qim A'esh, Echeh L'Qim What does Qim A'esh mean, to maintain the fire? It's not clear what that means. We'll talk about that later. Uh, and that's turned out from Esh al to Kadbo. The fourth fire, which is only in is in order to burn all the leftovers from the remaining day. What what wasn't consumed in the fire on the first day, you know, they would have a, a fourth fire to fit all, all those remaining, uh, all, all those parts of the carbon that were remaining. The fifth fire in Yom Kippur is a special Yom Kippur fire, according to most opinions, because there was a special torus on Yom Kippur and it was taken from that fire. And the final pasik, to tamitu calls bechlothbeh, According to the the, the so that teaches you that when you want, when you have to light the menorah, if the light of the menorah goes out, we'll talk about that later. Then it has to be lit from the ash of the tamid on the mezbech. Okay, so you have all these different, you know, bonfires on the mezbeach, Uh and I want to focus on one. I want to focus on probably the most puzzling one, which is the eish lekimum Uh According to Rashi, eish lekimum the, the third fire. Uh, was used as a reserve. If when you put out all the sacrifices on the Marach the great, the great fire, you know, the main fire, so it would tend to go out and to sputter. So what did you do? You had a reserve fire so that you'd be able to re- reignite it, relight it, so it should never ever go out. Uh, so that's Rashi, source number six, Shalkeemah Esh, Shim'ain Esh Shalmarach If it begins to die down, Mitgabim will see from a log mizah. Uh, so then you you have to use a reserve fire in order to build the fire up again. The Rambam has a very very interesting opinion. Source number seven. Shlosh marachot shel eishal rosham esbeach. You make three different you know, sites of eish. Vehol yom yishonam marach gadola the great fire. Shalei'am markivimat tamiim im shara There you bring all the sacrifices. Shni'a betzida ketanah lochi menom eish v'amach the second one is for the Shlishis ein klum. You don't do anything with it. It's not a reserve, it's for nothing. Ein klum. mitzvah ha'esh shenemar <clears> tamid <throat> tukar. You don't do anything with it. You don't light anything with it. You don't burn anything on it. It just remains there constantly for itself in order to make the mitzvah of tamid tukar al lo Um... This is certainly the most interesting position. All the other fires are functional. They're pragmatic. They have a purpose. They have a use. And this is important for its essence, for what it is, simply for being, because it expresses some idea, not because it's used for some purpose, but it expresses some idea. What idea does it it express? It expresses the idea of that constant age that never ever goes out, that remains on this bath forever. That. That's the idea that expresses. And in order to express that idea best, it's reserved for only that purpose, and you don't use it for anything else. And that way, it's an expression of that pure idea of eshtamid. Um An expression of how important this idea is. Uh, if you take a look at source number eight, the rabbin in the Sefer HaMitzvah, when he talks about the mitzvah to build the Mesa mikdash. <laughs> so what is the purpose of building the Mesa mikdash? What do you build the Beis mikdash for? So the Ram says, In order that there should be a place to bring sacrifices. What's the second purpose of the Mikdash, A place where the fire will burn constantly. Okay, why is it so important to have a place that the fire burns constantly? So it's clear that it's a reference <coughs> to God's revelation among Israel. The fire that came down on Yom Hashmini, that came down, that divine fire that came down, that should never ever go out. And therefore, you have a you have a fire that maintains that idea of that constant, simply that burning, that constant divine age that continues, continues. It comes down from the heavens, and it's also bolstered by by, by human endeavor as well. So that's the idea, you know. The, the purpose of the mitzvah is not only a place to, to bring sacrifices, where all by ourselves go together to bring sacrifices. It's also to express an idea of of, of the Shechina in Israel, and that's expressed by that fire that that burns constantly and never ever goes out. That's the third fire. The uh, the Sefer Achinuch says that the mitzvah of the Kohanim to come into, light the fire of the Mizbeach is only with respect to that third fire. That's the, the main fire. Let's take a look at this. The Lechavir Esha Mizbeach v'chol yom Tami. The mitzvah is to ignite a fire on the Mizbeach every single day. Amru Zechonam L'vacha. The Chazal, our rabbis, our sages said, Afa Pisha Eshoi minashabayim mitzvah lechavim minashayim Even though you have the divine fire, you should also have you beings and their endeavor to light a fire as well. And why? You shouldn't ask, what is this mitzvah? What's What's the purpose? If you have to bring sacrifices, then certainly you have to light a fire. You don't need a mitzvah to say light a fire to, to burn sacrifices. Everybody knows that if you have to burn sacrifices, you need a fire. So why is there a mitzvah to, to light a fire? Shin, right? If you don't have a fire, you can't burn karvanos. This is an independent mitzvah. There's nothing to do with burning carbonos This is an independent mitzvah. Aside from the, the, for the fire that you needed to burn the sacrifices, that's not our mitzvah. Our mitzvah is that that constant, pure ish whose purpose is only what? To constantly burn Mishar what is the idea of the mitzvah? He gives a certain explanation I, I hinted to a different explanation His explanation is that we don't that, that miracle shouldn't be that obvious and therefore every day there was the age that came down Mishamayim you know, if we wouldn't do something it would be too obvious and therefore we try to hide you know, the, the miraculous aspect of the of the age that came down Mishamayim um, I'm going to skip to the last line and if they wouldn't make this third fire, he doesn't talk of the first, the second, this third fire, if they wouldn't like that, then they weren't behind this mitzvah. So the, 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 the Chinuch says that the mitzvah exhausts itself in that third fire, which has no purpose at all except for it to burn. That's the Eish the HaMizbeach, and he's working off the Shita of the Rambach. That has no purpose, no function. It's not a pragmatic fire. It's, it expresses an idea. The idea of that constant burning of the Eish Hashem on The Minchas Chinuch, in source uh, number number 10, 10, argues and says that, you know, if this was so important, so what is Rabbi Yehuda? How could Rabbi Yehuda negate it? So I think that Rabbi Yehuda holds... That the constant fire can, you, you, can, you can fulfill that idea by the other fires that you have you have a fire that, that, that constantly burns and never goes out, that you use also to burn the sacrifices, so you have a constant fire in the you don't need an independent fire, but the idea of having a fire that expresses this idea of Kiwama's Dehach which is the purpose, one of the purposes of building the Mishkan, that probably exists according to Yehuda as well uh, in any event, uh, one of the expressions of this unique fire is that regarding, according to the Rambam, regarding all of the fires, you can light it, you know, when you have to add and light and ignite one of the other fires, you can light it, you know, outside or off the mizbeach on the floor, and then bring a burning piece of wood onto the mizbeach and, and light it there. But the Rambam, in source number 11, says, Marechet shlishit osa you can make it any place on the mizbeach. by et You can't light it on the, on, on the floor and then bring it and raise it to the mizbeach. Regarding this third ma'aracha, that's for the kiyum mizbech. It has to be lit on the mizbech itself, because it, it, it has to it has to be created on the mizbech. It's an esha mizbech. It's not an esh that you come and you bring to the mizbech. It expresses that constancy of the fire of Nuzbeach, which continues. And therefore it has to be lit on the Nuzbeach itself. Shnei ma'avei shom zbeach hikadbo, bikanda tzatashot ya'ela, broshosh shom zbeach. This third maracha, this fire, it has to be lit on Nuzbeach. The other two, it can be lit, lit anywhere. Okay. So that's the sheet of the Rambam, which is which, which the Chinuch follows. But what about Rashi? According to Rashi, it seems to be just another functional uh, fire that's needed as a reserve that, uh, in case the fire begins to die down, so you're able to, to reignite it. I want to claim that even according to Rashi, uh, you're, you're talking about an idea of constancy, and it's not simply you know, a functional uh, fire, but it's, it's also affects the same idea, but perhaps in a bit of a different way. Uh, I'll tell you why I think that. First of all, if you want to jump, please, to least, uh, source number 14. The uh, Torah's kohanim, kohanim. You know, the before the Mishnahs were written, the, the Tanayim, or the people who Tanaim, the Tanayim, with Dash and the Psukim. And from the laws that they learned out from the Psukim, later on the Mishnah was created. So it's a very, very early price. So based on Darsh and the Psukim. Eish Tamid t- Eish Tamid. Tamid? This Eish is Tamid. It's a constant... After Shabbat, after even when the Mishkan would, would go on its journeys, you'd have that ish which would be lit. It's a constant ish. It's lit on Shabbos. It's lit. It's lit. It's lit when when there's when there's uh, when when it's tame. It doesn't. It's constant. It always has to be lit. According to the Rambam, it would make sense that, that you need a pasuk to tell you that you have to light this even on Shabbos because it serves no purpose regarding sacrifices. But according to Rashi, that it's needed for the sacrifices, so since you bring sacrifices on Shabbos, so why do you need a pastor that tells you that you have to light the reserve fire that's only functional on Shabbos? It's obvious. So this would be seem to support the Rambam and be a question on Rashi. Um, take a look at source number 12. Rav Yosem Malanio uh, ask the question: what, what does Rabbi Yehuda do? What happens if the fire begins to die down in front Rabbi Yehuda? He doesn't have the extra fire as a reserve. What does he do? <laughs> they would have people that would be there if it starts dying down. Yeah, they'd bring more 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 wood. Why do you need a separate fire? And the question really is: If it were only a, a, a practical question, a pragmatic question, to make sure it doesn't die down, why do you need a separate fire? Why not use? Why, why not have a coin stand there, dies down, bring bring more, bring more wood? Why do you need a separate fire? And it's turned down from soaking. And you know, simply to to solve a technical problem, there are better solutions. Why do you need a separate fire? And therefore, I think that Rashi, uh, according to Rashi, the idea of eshakimum mizbeach is that the, the potential of continuity has to be inherent in the itself to have an external force to climb will come and to bolster the fire, that wouldn't be good enough. The mizbeach has to have an eshtamid. The hamizbeach has to be on mizbeach itself, inherent in the mizbeach. You have to light a fire so that the mizbeach itself maintains itself forever and ever. And if it begins to die down, the potential to have it continue already exists on mizbeach. As opposed to Rabbi Yehuda that allows for some external source to bolster it, Rabbi Yossi says no. That idea of Talmud has to be inherent in the Mizbeach itself, on the altar itself. And therefore, even in Konterashi, I think the idea of having that reserve fire is not totally functional, but it expresses an idea. And therefore, you would light it even on Shabbos, even though the fire on, of the Marakha didn't begin to die down. You might not need it. Nevertheless, you have to light it, because even in Konterashi, you're expressing that idea that the Mizbeach itself has to has to express that idea of, of tamid, that this is a fire that will never go out. So I think both according to Rashi, as well as according to the Rambam, that third fire expresses that idea. It's not functional, but expresses an idea which is inherent in a basic characteristic of Mubeach, that it has a fire that never goes out. Take a look at the Meiri. Who really combines these two ideas? I think that's uh, really expressive what I what I'm trying to say in Rashi. The third fire, the they wouldn't do anything with it. Right? So first of all, you, use it. you don't do anything with it. So what's it for? Oh, the other H dies down, so you you reignite. So he's using the words of the Rambam and the body language of the Rambam, but he's explaining it according to Rashi. He's really combining these two ideas, which I think is a very, very acute expression of this idea that even according to Rashi, the idea is inherent in what Mizbeach, and the definition of Mizbeach, that Mizbeach is a place where you have an eshtami, as opposed to having some external forces come and reignite to make sure it doesn't go out. What I want to go from here is to the menorah. The title of the shir is Eish Tamid, which is on the Mizbeach, and Ner Tamid, which is in the sanctuary on the, on the menorah. There's an interesting focus between the Rambam and between the Ravid, source number 18. she'kava, achadishno el If the, neer, the 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 Western candle... On there were eight. There were there were seven candles on the menorah. If the western one would go out, what exactly the western one is are, is, is a bit machlokas. But if the if what we call the nevmarav goes out is extinguished, you light it from mizbeach Uh If you take a look, go back to the table, uh, you'll see that the 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 pasuk of eshtamid it teaches you that you light the menorah from the mizbeach from the Esh of so, this is what the Rabbi is referring to. He says it refers to the Ner Ma'aravi. Ravid, Hasagas that Ha Rived, Ner Midvarav, Shuikol Ner Ma'aravi. That the idea that you have to light the menorah, it only refers to the Ner Ma'aravi, doesn't refer to any of the other candles. Shalola Ziko Elm is Be'acha Ola. I argue. Shkha Amru Matzah Shakava Midashto Madlikum is Be'acha Ola. I think that that it doesn't make a difference which nair goes out. What you do is you when you when you clean the, the the menorah in the morning, you do it in in different, you know, in different uh, times. In other words, you leave some of the narrow lit. The snare would be let to, to constantly light, and the others you would be, begin to clean. And when you come in the evening. You know, if ever, all would be well, and knowing the Ba'is Rishon and the vice Sheni of Toshimat Tzadik, miraculously, even though you put the same amount of oil in all the in all the ner the maravi would light all the way till, till the evening. But if it would go out, then you would have to light the menorah from the Zbech Ha'chitzel, so not, not specifically the ner maravi. If any of the candles are still lit, you light one candle from the other, because the nair of the menorah would never, was not extinguished. But if all the narrows went out, and you have to reestablish the ner tamid. What you do is you take from the tziburach So that's my focus between the Rambam and the Ravid. According to the Rambam, it's specific to the ner maravi. Well, according to the Ravid, it refers to the entire menorah, any one of the candles of the menorah. What the argument I think is based on source number sixteen. The a is again one of the midrash al written on. On Bamidbar, uh, Sefera on BaYikra, Sefera on Bamidbar, Bamidbar Dvarim. Ya'iu shavat wrote. rood, shomer ani sheyudokim laolam. Right? It's a ne'er tamid. It's a ne'er tamid. La'lot tamid. Ya'iu shavat Forever it should be lit. Tamid lo, ma'irav a boker. It says you light it from evening to morning. Imirav a boker. The fiy tamid. What does it mean when it says the fiy tamid constantly? There's one candle that's lit constantly. In other words, the Tamid over here by by the menorah, you can explain Tamid in one of two ways. Tamid can be consistent and Tamid can be constant. When we say that, we say Kriyashma, we don't say Kriyashma all the time, we say it twice a day. That's called Tamid. Because we say it twice every single day. That's called tamid, Because to do something consistently, the carbon tamid, you had a tamid in the morning and a tamid in the evening. That's consistent. But when you have the lechim the tamid on the shulchan, that was there constantly over the entire week. Regarding the menorah, you have one aspect which is consistent Aribat Boker every single night, the Arivat boker would be lit. That would be that would be consistent but there was also the Fnei HaSheptami, which was constant. That idea of constant expressed itself in the Narmaravi that had exactly as much oil as all the other candles, but it would light all the way till the next evening. According to the Rambam, that I, the, the menorah itself has to be lit consistently. The idea of constancy is a special theme in the Narmaravi. not in the menorah, but in the Nirmaravi. While according to the Ravid, it's a kingdom menorah. The menorah should be constantly lit. It expresses itself through one of the candles, which happens to be the Neh But it's a representative of the entire menorah. And therefore, according to the Rambam, if the Neh goes out, how do you reestablish the idea of tamid? That the idea of that light, which is constantly lit. Where do you get an ish that's tamid from? Where else do we have an ash that's constant? Uzbech. Uzbech is the place where you have the ish. That is constantly linked, and Esh, which has that idea, that, that characteristic of constancy. So if something happened and the menorah went out, or the Nehmbar of it went out, and you have to re-establish the idea of Tamid, where are you going to take it from? Where do you have, where can you find a fire whose characteristic is Tamid? The answer is, Esh Tamid to Kalmuz Beach, where do we find Esh Tamid? On the Beach of we have Marakha shlishis that expresses that idea of tamid, that, that constancy. So either according to the Namaravi or the entire menorah, but in order to re-establish that Tammit, to take a fire whose characteristic is tamid, to reignite the Ne'er or, or the menorah, you have to take it from the Be'er The idea of the Ne'er Ma'aravi, the Gemara and Shabbos, source number 17, why do you like the, the menorah? God needs the menorah to be lit in order to see. doesn't make any sense. Akadosh Baruch Hu gives us light and tells us how to go. You have an Amr H and an Amr, uh, and an Amr Ashna that tells us where to go and how to travel. He gives us direction. We don't have to light a fire for HaKadosh Baruch Ela edusu—it's a testimony. Levi Olam—that the entire world should know. Shaschina shorsh Yisrael—that that God dwells among Israel. My edus was the testimony. Amar Rav Zon thats the Neemar Ravi. Shnootein bashemen kmiyach chavotel. You put in exactly as much shemen as all the others received. When we men our yamadu, All the others would go out, and that would be lit all the way till the evening. Okay. Very, very reminiscent of of Chanukah, right? and the two are, are, are very, very connected. And Chanukah, also the idea is agency of the That idea, the idea of Ner Tamid, and the Eish Tamid. The tamid is a, is is an expression of revelation. It's a burning fire. It's energy. It's powerful. And then there was this one light, one flame in the menorah that that that's the testimony that God dwells among us. And one ignites the other. You no longer have a base of me, But we have something that's parallel to the fire on the Zbeach. And the fire that came down from Yishamayim that lights our lives is the fire of Torah. And we receive the Torah. That comes from the heavens. And it's our job to add Eshmerahed Yoga. And take that fire Torah, but God also wants, wants human uh, impetus as well. Not only God comes and the H comes down with but man also has to bring himself into the picture. A Kaddish bro who doesn't want man to be robots, to passively receive the Torah, but to be proactive. And therefore H comes down with but also have to bring Ishmael. The role of man is to, to spread the divine light. When I think of Rabbella, I think of somebody who the Ish burnt within him. There was a light that shone in his eyes. He was constantly moving, constant ideas. There was something burning within him. What burnt within him was the Ish He was an example of somebody who took the faith of the Torah and he was Moses Milahed You know, he, he, he would say that, you know, but he, he, he tried to, to facilitate was the Isha Torah. He would teach Torah. He wouldn't try to missionize. He wouldn't try to convince. He said, the Torah is burns bright enough itself. It will give its own message. I don't have to convince people. I just have to teach the Torah. where it was dark it bothered him so much when he what's called the school Ostrovsky, it's called he he, he, he said he he walked along how am I going to get in there there's no there's no fire burning there he said Zebaharbi it burnt within me how am I going to get into that school and he eventually got in and he lit a fire there the first class he gave was on on uh, on biblical scholarship on on first two procurations he gave over a prayer he met a student a year later and he said the this, this shir that you gave us was electrifying he was an Eishator, and, he, and he burned and he was able to light fires he lit candles wherever he went because he burnt those <sighs> shines. All those candles you it. Does so your <many coughs> hearts brought the brightness of the fire of Taurus on. still shines and his legacy still shines I think anybody that knew him appreciated him just try to continue to fulfill his advocacy the divine fire still the divine fire still burns we have the Torah and we have to take that fire of the Torah to bring it to places where there's no life. To do what he did. To continue what he started. Perhaps can't do it as well as he did. But there was a fire that burnt within him. And it continues to burn within people that knew him. And he the
0: Our second uh, sure, I'd like to introduce, or Nahum Lietag, who not sure really needs much of an introduction here, but for those, uh, Lietag, uh hails from Akron, Ohio, uh, where, where his father, the Great Midwest, where his father served as a Rob Kiwa, and now the home of uh, LeBron James, named for LeBron James. Uh, he studied in yeshiva haratzion where he did Hesder, and then he studied later on uh, in machon lev uh, and subsequently at some time uh, during my time in yeshiva along with Danny uh, he was the madrich for the b'nei uh and uh, supervised the, uh, uh, the students from abroad and at some later point he began uh, I guess he gave up he hung up his engineering uh, 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 vocation and began to teach Tanakh, and now he does literally that all over the world, uh, including Chief Teh Israel. And I think he's lectured here many times, and we're uh, pleased to have him honor us with a shiur of Rose.
2: i will sort of continue what Rav Khan started say, oh, Sort of follow up the same ideas uh, but I want to just explain what Joel tried to explain to me That tonight is not uh, an evening of nostalgia of memory But about Torah learning but I want to, to introduce what, our topic I want to talk about two different types of memory I meant to bring my cell phone with me But he's just for example uh, If you're going to buy oh, <laughs> uh, If you're buying one or upgrading uh, There's two types of memory you have to consider. One memory is like 8 gigabytes, 16, up to 32 already. And 64. 64, we're getting there. And what's that mean to you? Other than you're upgrading and you have more than you had last time. But the more memory you have, the more gigabytes you have, that's the more pictures you can store. The more movies, the more songs you can download. But it's storage memory. Meaning, it's memory that's in your phone, but it's not running all the time. You can recall that. If you want a picture, you recall it. There's another memory in your phone, if you know into computers and engineering, it's called cache memory or RAM memory. It's running all the time. There's processor memory. It's also a couple of, not as much as gigabytes, it's a megabytes, but it's, um, it's running all the time. What's the difference? The difference is storage memory, I recall it when I need it, but it's like nostalgic memory. Processor memory, Enables your phone to do multitasking. You can run a lot of the more memory your your processor has, the more you're able to do different functions, more applications running at the same time. Um, so, if I want to talk about memory, uh, there's nostalgic memory from Dani, which is I'm sure we can share for hours and hours and hours. I'll bring I'll break the rule and bring one example in the beginning. But the main memory I want to talk about is the memory that can be I call processor memory or cognitive memory. Where it's something that we keep with us all the time Or like Rabbi I was talking about to me, It's with us constantly And to get that idea across I want to bring one example from uh, The classic Mitzvah to remember There's a commandment to remember the exodus But we know Pesach, the whole topic And we can understand the story of the exodus This nostalgic memory As a nation That's our beginning Our creation How we became a nation uh, The great beginnings of our people Our freedom And what's dear year we remember it Or that memory can be constant, it can be our process of memory where what Chumash does with that memory in your day-to-day life, every time you encounter someone who's in need, someone less fortunate, Chumash always tells you help that person out, remember you were a slave in Egypt, remember you were a stranger in someone else's land, and that's a memory that's running all the time in our minds, and that's a memory that's transformative, because it affects how we act on a a day-to-day basis, so again, there's nostalgic memory of the event, historical memory, like the Seder but then there's also the day-to-day memory of this, of, uh, I think at the Seder, we talk about that, don't we? Nazaria Never understood why we're so obsessed with this every day and every night. You know, why is it once a year enough, or once a day? And um, his Rebbe Ben Zoma told him, he brings the Pasuk in Tvarim, the, the reason you go crazy for seven days a week, for seven days a year, is the And also Sefer Tvarim, numerous times, there's laws about sensitivity, caring about others, always followed by the refrain and the motivator, remember you were slave in Egypt, remember you were stranger, remember how they treated you, and don't do that. Make sure that that memory affects your behavior 24-7. So if I take that idea, I want to apply it to something about Danny. first, one little story that uh, Rav Yars, uh, should remind me of um, back in the good old days uh, when Danny was just a student. Um, I was, um, I only found out about this later because I used to listen to tapes from Rav Mordechai uh, I didn't have patience to sit and listen, uh, but I used to listen to shirim. Um, and when the shir was over, Rav Mordechai was like the, he began the whole, he lit the fire of this, uh like uh, one of Rabbeller's favorite uh, shirim was chapter one and chapter two of Rashid. And he was just, the fire that lit Rabbeller was Rabroyer. And I wish I could find that tape, but, can't even have a machine to play it anymore. Uh, <laughs> but the shir was over, and the person forgot to turn off the tape recorder. Uh, the cassette, they before I think was one of those real things back then. Uh, and for about 15, 20 minutes after the shir, Rabbeller and Rabamnon Bazak, who were just students then, they were probably in their early 20s or thing, were just talking in amazement about this like, the shir. Like, the utter enjoyment and the excitement that Donnie had when he heard this year you could hear them talking he was just like so excited about it and of course uh, Donnie was a person who made many people happy that was one of his we'll talk about that soon but what's special with Donnie other people made him happy as well he had the ability some people are good like he he was so great like every tool, anything we did he just knew how to keep things going and make things happy but he also had the ability that other people made him happy and excited. And like, like a little child sometimes, any share he heard, he would gain so much from it, be so excited about it, like he just discovered something new. Um, so the, the topic I wanted to pick to continue what Rafan was talking about, also about, uh, because the three weeks coming up and Parshapin class coming up, also about the mikdash, uh, but two elements of the beta mikdash, one which, uh, Raviyar began, the idea of a mikdash ma'at. If, if the uh, mikdash, according to the Ramban, is a mini har in other words, one of the things that we do when we come to the Mikdash, we remember the Sinai experience. It was the fire in Sinai, the Torah being given in Sinai. There's Ramban, in the beginning of Parashat Truma goes proves almost, it's hard to argue with him, he proves that one of the main functions of the Mishkan is to take that same rele- uh, revelation, the Higalut, that was everyone saw in Har Sinai, and never leave it, take it with us. Not Beniglebet Ben-Nisnar, but... We don't leave Har Sinai; we take it with us first in a portable fashion through the desert, and then in, the, in, the, in a permanent fashion in the temple. And therefore, when I remember, uh, in order to remember Mount Sinai forever as an eternal memory, the vehicle which choose uses is going to be the Mishkan. Later, that Mishkan becomes the Mikdash, becomes the temple. The temple was destroyed; we'll be mourning that for the next couple of weeks. Uh, well, according to the rabbis and Apostolic and in what replaces the Mikdash? the Mikdash Mat or the Shul. And there's tons of imagery in the Shul, like the Ner Tamid, every, the Aaron Kodesh, the Parochet. The um, the rabbis in Yavna, after the temple was destroyed, did such a good job of turning the Shul, the function of the, of the temple, into the Shul, that we survived thousands of years without it. It did almost too good of a job. But they they were able to take the key functions of the Mikdash, and keep that fire burning through the Shul. And if there's one thing about Vali's character, his dedication to a Shul... Un- unprecedented, and I don't have to explain that. You people know that much more than I do. This total dedication to a show I grew up, my father was a shul rabbi in Akron, Ohio. I know what that meant also. Uh, i never having time for, like, total mm-hmm. dedication, over dedication to a shul. Uh, but that fire burning in him, and um, his connection to the show, is a connection to the Beit HaMikdash and the idea of mikdash, and I gave mikdash vat. That was one character. But the other character, like, what, what I want to talk about in the title, was I called Selah Elokim, or the respect of other human beings which isn't so easy to find nowadays if you've been listening to the news. I mean, you respect people who are just like you and things like that, but, but I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> um, now, um, I want to, in the year, what I want to do is I want to show you how those topics are connected. In relation, I want to use the Mikdash to show how the topics of the Mikdash as a memory, as a constant memory of Harsinai can be understood much better when I relate it not only as a um, a memory of revelation Of our sinah, But also of creation And how in the Avodah Tamid and the Avodah the service that we do In the Beit HaMikdash We're remembering not only The theme of Matan Torah But also the theme of creation Now um, When we remember the Torah being given It's not only remembering What we received But also The obligation We took upon ourselves To be God's people we didn't just receive the Torah of Har Sinai. We took upon ourselves an obligation to be a mamlechet koni We took upon ourselves to be God's people forever. That's the key event in Har Sinai. And in order to become God's people, God gave us the Torah as our worker's guide of how to become God's people. And that has to be studied and developed, like Rav Khan was talking about. And therefore, the memory of the Mishkan is asked us to remember how the great days of coming out of Egypt, the great days of Har Sinai, but also the responsibility that comes with receiving the Torah and what it means to be God's people. But there's other avodot in the Beit HaMikdash, which I think relate to creation. And what I want to do, we'll do a little share because that was the main purpose tonight. I want to do a share on something that Rabdanya loved a lot about, you mentioned the story of creation, Terek Alath and Terek I want to show you something for the creation story. I, you can do it without a chumash. If you have a chumash, you can look along. Uh, most things you remember, if it's easier to stay up, you can look at the chumash inside. There's some passing around. We'll pass more around if you need. Um, I wanna look, I wanna try to explain the concept of Selim Edokim in the story of creation. Now, uh, again, Ravkan mentioned, um, about the H-Tamid and the Korban Tamid. Uh, one of the, uh, the classic Korban Tamid is Baboker, Taseh Being that, comes up a lot. Uh, where we're earlier in Chumash we have this concept of Erev and Boker. And Erev and Boker and Erev and Boker. Right. of course I'm brishi. that's the story of creation <coughs> and I think there's a connection between the korban tamid and the wording breaking it one in the morning one in the evening that's already an indicator I'm not only going back to Harsin I'm going back to creation um, I'll just jump ahead a little bit there's, uh, there's, there's light in creation isn't there or? shem and or lighting in the menorah. there's or in creation day one and day four we'll see there's a lot of things in creation that we're going to find in the Mikdash and what I want to try and understand is what's the connection between the Abu Dhab, the service we do on a daily and a regular basis in the Beit HaMiknash, what's that to do, what understanding, what memory that is of creation that affects our cognitive memory of how we act every day in our lives. And how does that memory of creation affect how we act as human beings in our day-to-day lives? So if you take a look in Parakalaf and Breshi, um, you'll find something which I'm pretty sure you noticed before. That every single day ends with the same phrase. How does every day end? By erav, by boker yom blank. But now, does every day end with the same phrase? How does every day begin? Every day begins with al <speaking in Spanish> except which day? Well, except the first day. Let's see. Does the first day begin with byomer <speaking in Spanish> Well, it depends on the first lukiem. Are they an introduction? did God create first Shemayim Ba'areks and create them again on day 3 and day 4 etc or is verses 1 and 2 an introduction to the whole 7 days of creation which I think is simpler shot? and when does day 1 begin in Pasach with what famous Pasach Vayom Elohim. yeor Or and what happened he Or now if that's true then every day that God created has the same format it begins with Vayom Elohim, followed by something and every day ends with by by Bokar Yom blank. It's called format. Now, what always follows in every day? What always follows that original? It's always going to be something else, something new every time. But what What function always follows? It's always followed by a. No, that's going to come later. We'll get to that soon. I see what you're saying. So good God. <laughs>
1: Yihi. What?
2: Yihi. Yihi, but what is that? It's a command, isn't it? And you'll see why it's imperative to understand why. Every V'yomer Elohim is followed by a command. Check it out. Elohim, what's day one? Yihi, or. And what happened? Day two, rakia, A command, isn't it? Day three, Yikabu Day four, something.
0: Yihimorot. Uh, Yihimorot.
2: Day five, Yishu Tzuhamayim. Every Bayomer Elohim is followed by a command. I'll prove it to you from Tehilim in a minute. Okay. What follows every command? What should follow every command? Fulfillment. A fulfillment, okay. an execution. Does that happen? Bayomer Elohim or, or? Yikabuamayim. What's that? It better happen. Yeah, I think it happened. Bayiicheng. It happens. Sometimes short, sometimes long. You Morod, and then God makes the Morod. So every day begins with a command, followed by execution, or entailing. Who amar? Bayei. Not it? So God said, and it, and it happened. This didn't happen. First God, I guess, thought about it, replied it. We call it malecha machshevet. You think about doing something, and then he does it. It happens. Now, after that command and execution, what almost always follows, now you can say what you want to say, an evaluation. And it's so always a straight A, sort of, almost a straight A. <laughs> or sort of a pass-fail system. But every day is good. Every day that's graded is good. No days are bad yet. But every day is either good or nothing. That's right. Now, but therefore, there's always an evaluation and then something extra. It might be giving a name, it might be giving a purpose, but if I look at the format, every day begins with command, execution, evaluation, and then some add-on. We're not going to do the add-ons because that's way too complicated. I, I want to take the simple thing. And if I follow that, let's take a look. What is it that God makes a day at a time? We'll do it together because it's real simple. What is it that God makes on day one, following that format? What does God make on day one? I need the Hebrew or. He the or? He gives or he calls it day and he calls it night. He calls that night, but that's giving names. The thing that God makes is or. Whatever that is, we don't know what it is. We know that it is. Um, no, day two, what did God make? Yeah. Rakia. Oh, he made a rakia. He made a rakia. Now, what is a rakia? I don't, ask a physicist, it's probably, not, it's probably just, a, it's just something we observe, we perceive. Probably there's nothing there, maybe there is something there. I don't know, is there a rainbow or not? Oh. <laughs> ask a physicist. I, we all see it, but there's nothing there. Where that? I don't get into yeah, into philosophy, but there's the rakia. We perceive a rakia because what's the what's the rakia do? What's it divide between? There's water up there and there's water down there, right? There used to be water everywhere. Now after there's a rakia, there's water up there. Sham up there is mine. What do we call that up there? Sham mine. And what do we call the water down below? Yamin. But there's water above and water below, and what divides them? Merakia. So no, we got day two. No evaluation, but I guess nothing not so good about that. Um, how about day three? What does God make? You four, nine, Mine. Nine. And what happens? It happens. So what do we have now? We have land. So we're moving along. We have light, and then we have uh, water above and water below, and then we have land. Uh, with Darwin okay with this so far? No, we'll, we'll leave Darwin out of it in the meantime. How about day four? What's going to make on day four? Ma'orot. Ma'orot. Okay, that's more than just light. That's big lights. The big light, the little light. We call them sun and moon. But we hear it called the big light and the blue light and the and the stars. Love it. But he commands it. He does it. And is it good? It's good. And he gives them a job, don't they? I mean, who, 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 what job does he give the sun? But they have a purpose so we know when to beat people and things like that but but who's in charge of the sky during the day remshela tayom the goes to the sun to the mor ha we don't want to call him a god because God made him but he appears to be a god but God gave him the power to rule over the day and who got rule over the night the moon Right. and it was good day four how about day five Oh, that's a little complicated now What's God make now? Not animals, not yet. Which kind of living things? Fish and fowl. Fish fowl in the sky and fish on the in the sea. Fish in the sea and fowl in the air. Not animals yet. Not land animals. Just um, some sea animals and, and fish and fish and fowl. Got the right words? Yeah. How about day five? And that was that was day five, wasn't it? How about day six? It makes... It makes yeah. Now we get land animals. And now we have... In appearance, creation's over. Um, and creation's over, correct? And we have seven days of creation. Six days of creation, and God rests on the seventh. Now, I'm sure you noticed, I hope you did, that there's something going on that's cute. Because there's the parallel between which days? Yes. Yeah. No. One matches four. How simple is that? Or and maorot, like shemen. La, oh, where's that from? Shemen la maor. Well, that's 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 later on. I'm sorry. That's in Truma. That's in Truma. Um, <laughs> and or I mean, it's all over the place. Truma. <laughs> and in Emor. Now, the um, but one is parallel. You can't miss that. Or maorot. Yeah, it could be just coincidental. Now, How about day two? Does that have a partner? Yes. Day five, because what? on day two, there's a rakia that separated between. The mine above, and the, and the water below, shemaim and Yamim. And what populates the shemaim? The sharon And what populates the sea?
0: The
2: fish. The fish. And, and what divides them? The rakia. And he puts them rakia shemaim. And now day two matches day day five. Good enough. Uh, how about day six? Well, God made land on day three, and God makes land animals on day six, and it's a nice now so the question you asking sheep all the time so what so <laughs> <laughs> you have a nice parent, you have a chiasm, you have a this and you know you always have a uh, but what so, so it's cute so what do you learn from it well, nothing yet <laughs> but I skipped something didn't I what did I skip I, I skipped the i of man on purpose but I skipped something else
1: you,
2: you made a good point before what was your point you made before you made a very good point
1: yeah
2: very, you made a good point you said something very good. Very good. <laughs> what does he say? What, what, what does God do every day? He evaluates every day. That's good. <coughs> except for except for day two.
1: Okay.
2: How about day three? Wedding season. It's almost over, What? It says twice. It's good. You know why it says? Everyone remember that day three? It says twice. It's good.
1: Because
2: Because there's another act of creation. If you have your Chumash open. Look! Look at day at day three. Day three, unlike all the other days, has more than one vayomer lokim. Every other day has one vayomer lokim in the beginning. Remember, a command, a execution, evaluation, and something extra. On day three, we have two acts of creation. What's the first vayomer lokim? (inaudible) Yikavu. (inaudible) Yikavu (inaudible) Hamayim. Correct. And we have Yabasha. And is it good? It's good. It's evaluated. <laughs> the first part of day three is over. In the middle of day three, what do we have now? Take a look.
1: <laughs> Got
2: it? And was that good? In other words, there's two acts of creation on day three there's a command, an execution, an evaluation. And day three. Day three is special because there's two acts of creation. (coughs) Are those two acts connected? Is there a connection between land and plants? What's the connection? With that land, uh, the plants grow from the land. Is there a big difference between them? There's a massive difference between them. (coughs) What's the quantum leap? Now we're talking Darwin. What's the quantum leap from 3a to 3b? There's a quantum leap from three a to three b. Mm-hmm. What's called from domain to toma'ah. Life begins. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no life beforehand. There's 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 sun and there's no, not sun. There's light and there's sea and there's there's water and there's elements. There's land, but there's no life yet. What begins on three b? We have we're jumping from land, from inanimate objects, from domain to toma'ah to life. And what's unique about life? It's, etef It's o sepri. Life is made, like, there's life and there's death, but every living thing can reproduce itself. So that's day three. Now, if day three has two acts of creation, and if everything's parallel, what can I expect about day six? Is that true? Take it out. <laughs> of course you know that. Right. But the first flavor of Elohim is is, is, is land animals. What's it say there? What's day three say? Uh, and God makes the chayot the know all the different species of animals, and it's good. Then what happens? adam not. Does He do it? Is there an execution? Everyone knows that, correct? Sheva brachos is all about that, isn't it? Now, therefore, what do we have on day three? On day six, I'm sorry. Two acts of creation. First, animals. And then, evaluation. Then we have another volume of And this time, God makes man. And what's special about man? He's with Elochim. That's, And he's in charge of everything under the sky. Remember? The sun and the moon. They're in charge of everything above. Man is in charge of everything down below. Um, and... Um, But it's a new act of creation, isn't it? That has the word bara, the verb bara. Now, just like day three has two acts of creation, day six has two acts of creation, correct? Three to six, and both, there's 3A, 3B, 6A, 6B. What can I expect now? A parallel between, between the parallel, between 3A to 3B has to be similar to 6A to 6B. From 3A to 3B, there was a quantum leap, wasn't there? And therefore, what can I expect from 6A to 6B? A quantum leap. Is there or not? No, what would Darwin say?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Darwin would say super duper ape. Right? What does Chumich say? Say the Melokih. Now, on the other hand, plants do stem from... There is a connection between land and, and, and plants. There's a direct connection. And there's a connection from apes to men. I mean, in biology, you know, you see that. On the other hand, it's something totally different. And what Chumash, the difference between man and animal, that's what Chumash calls the Sele If you're really bored one day, uh, there's a book called Morey Nebuchim. <laughs> which is not, it's a guide for the unsettled. <laughs> if you're perplexed, it's not going to help you. <laughs> but he explains, um, in his introduction says it's really a book on Chumash. It's this like tricky way of explaining Chumash without, uh, without writing like Rashi. He like hints to things. But the first thing he does in Morey Bukhim, he starts with these boring definitions. And the very first definition that Rambam gives is so. Tzele Melokim. He's a Tanachist, Way before gosh Way before Rambam was into this stuff. Um, and what did he do? What's his what definition? I'll just redefine what he says. He says, What is Tzele Melokim? He says, Sigma man minus Sigma animal. Remember Sigma from math class? Sigma? What's Sigma mean? Sum of. The, the sum total of man. They take the sum total of man. Subtract from that the sum total of animal. And what do you have? T-a-l-o-keem. I know there's a difference between man and animal. I can't define it, but I know there's a difference. Everyone tries to define it, but it's hard to define. Whatever that difference is, that's that's tzadokim. what is it that man has that animal doesn't have? It's tzadokim. And man needs to know he has tzadokim. Now, that, now take a quick look if you're not bored. Look on day three, day six. Is there another by tzadokim or not? Is there a third one or not? There shouldn't be. It would, would ruin the parallels. Yeah, there is, but there is. Yeah. But does it ruin it or not? No. If, if, what does it have to follow to ruin it? Commit. Is it who about? Is it a command followed by the execution? No. 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 Well, it's an observation. Actually, it's sort of a. It's a diet. Okay. And what diet does God give out after He creates man and animal? What does God diet? What diet does God give? Remember what happened on three B. I mean, on three B. God made deshe, ace him as a reza ace sepri, made vegetation, but he makes a differentiation between bury priya ace and bury priah domah. Hope you knew that's where the bracha comes from. You knew that? The brachot on day three, I mean, the bracha that we make when we eat vegetables, and I think it's a reflection of day three. Ask Rabbi Yehuda, because what's he hold? Remember in brachot, what's Rabbi Yehuda hold? Remember bury me day to they're all arguing over how to read or how to apply day three of creation. But when we differentiate between Breit Priya Dhamma and Breit Priya Aids, it stems from, that was supposed to be a pun, it stems from, from, from day three of creation, doesn't it? Now, um, and therefore, and on day three, there's a differentiate between, between grass and shrubs and tree and fruit. What is the diet in day six? What does man get to eat? What? He eats pre eggs. He can eat the fruit. What do animals eat? Just the, the shrubs. That's called the acid. They get the grass. They, they, graze on grass and with, and what does man get special? Man gets fruit. He gets him into trouble in the next barrack. But in the meantime, that's another difference which fits the parallel beautifully now, doesn't it? Because not only do I have three and three B in this trunk, but also the content is related. Because on, on, on three B, when God makes, uh, vegetation, the differential between between fruit and vegetables is already in part of man's diet. Now, now that man knows, and then God rests on the seventh day. Does the seventh day have a partner? It can't because it's an odd number. But it should have a partner, right? So, so what? What did Chazal say? God, need, Shabbos didn't have a partner. Israel. Israel. He made he picked out to be the partner. Remember some Torah and stuff like that, and Shmini but I'm pretty sure that's where the Midrash comes from. Now, that idea of Tzelem Elohim is not just um, something structural. I want to try to suggest the meaning. Um, number one, one of, the key, I think one of the key themes of Chumash is not telling you how God created, but why He made men. Not even why He created, but I don't think He deals with that either. But now that He did create, what's the meaning of life, of human life? And man, God wants man to recognize He's different than all their creations. And there's something godly about man. Because what can man do that animal can't do? He can create. As most other things Darwin, are left to instinct. Man is the most creative living thing there is. I think it's man's creativity which reflects I'll give you an example. Does man only eat fruit and vegetables or does he eat more than that? We're not talking about hunters gatherers. We're way past that yeah, stage, right? That was
1: the curse, right?
2: That we get to eat cake and bread and all the, <laughs> the meat, right? That was, that uh, the falaf, yeah, right? well, it depends what you mean by we can turn a curse into a blessing, we can don't we? The right <laughs> curse with Adam and then we no turn a curse into right? a blessing? Because is yeah, a curse. But what bracha do we make when we step to What bracha do we make when we eat bread? What's, What's it? bread? Bread doesn't grow from trees or from the ground. Man so, makes bread. Yeah. Remember, man domesticated wheat. Animals can steal a picnic basket and, and eat the bread, but animals don't bake bread. They don't take the grain and grind it, and maybe in their stomachs they do, but they, they don't bake bread, do they? They're not that sophisticated. They eat the grass or they eat other animals. Man takes grain, grinds it, and makes bread. Why he did it? Again, ask an evolutionist. fact, They're not even sure, didn't make much sense either, but he did it. But that's unique to man. Um, animals eat grapes. What do men, men do with grapes? We make wine. Well, that's smarter. Animals don't make wine; they might drink the wine we make. They don't make. They don't have wineries. They're not there yet. Does that get a special bracha as well? I think so. Remember, those are the two brachot that we make on things only that men makes. Now, um, does that come up in the temple? Bread.
1: Yeah.
2: What? Oh, there's lechem have it every day? What? But I want to show you I'll start from indoors I'll start from indoors, okay? start from indoors. Um, what, What's the main Avodat Tamid In the Mikdash? Indoors What's the main Avodat Tamid Every day? Constantly or consistently? What? What? No, but in, indoors in, in, Inside the Mishkan The menorah, isn't it? The Shulchan only once a week The menorah Every day Daily and what, what do we do? Shemen la Is any other living animal make light? Don't tell me fireflies. That's like something. Like, no other animal takes. It had the cop to take olives, squeeze them, make oil, make a candle, and make the whole thing. That's human ingenuity. What do we do? God made light on day three, I mean, on day four. We make light. God gave us the ability to make light. If you want to state it sort of in a cute way, creation is over. In six days And God rushed on the seventh day When creation is over What happens now? Is everything stagnant? We have laws of nature you know, Physics can tell you exactly how you know, How God did it or what God did But things are not stagnant anymore What happens? <laughs> creation is over Civilization begins And God entrusted civilization to man so <laughs> <laughs> To do to, to be as Rabbi Arasad, Being proactive in fact, what do we do on the Seder Shabbat to mark the beginning of civilization? No, Our we take fire. fire. Mm-hmm. Now we can do great things with fire. We can do terrible things with fire. Mm-hmm. Fire, we can do. We can build a. Uh, we can build an ego. We can build a mishkan. We can build. We can burn things down and we can build things. We can we can have industry. But fire is a tremendous tool that man has. Is there fire in the mikdash? That was hope share. I mean, not hope this year, but mm-hmm. that was part. of... Like Rav Yair pointed out. So that's one one idea, but I want to go back to indoors. So sh- every day we light shemen from when, when there's no natural light at night, when it's dark, we make light. Remember, may Ivat With eight of menorah. Now I'm not going to get into all this topic, but the the is is in order to enter. In other words, k'torat's part of a different. If you know the whole mishkan thing, the mishbach is after the whole mishkan unit. It's like an add-on. It's a uh, it's a prefer. Perfor- it's a it's, it's once it's like the, uh, where are those things? You have them here? You should have them here. Uh, the fire extinguishers in the room?
0: Sprinkler. Sprinkler?
2: The sprinkler. That's, uh, I built this room to have desks and tables you know, because that's the function of the room. I didn't build the room to put a sprinkler in. Once I built the room, the fire department says I have to have a sprinkler. Got the idea? That's, that was, once I build a mishkan and I have the shkinah, I need protection from the shkinah. So that's ketore. So in order to enter, like on Yom Kippur, in order to enter the Kodesh Kodeshim, what does the Kodeshim need to do? He's got to bring Torah We need some That's like smoke screen. In order to enter The Mishkan every day What's I't have to bring? He brings Torah Because once he brings Torah When well, he goes to light the middle round. But that's the shir In Parsha Trumet Tzavet But those those are the main That's the main Avodah Which is Or Making light Which is reflective Of man's creativity And then Once a week What do we do? right? We bake challah And we put And we show it to God It's our showbread. And we change it once a week. What's bread have to do with the week? The idea of a week can make it why, why would bread be associated with the idea of a week? Speaking of miracles that we don't see. Because where, where's the concept of we come from? From the mud with Lachemina Shabbin. Remember the double part and the the idea of Shabbat and the week and the mud and food and lechemina art and lacheminah Shamaim all connects back to the mud and that idea. But again, what are we doing? We're making bread on our own, but our ability to make bread and make our own food. And make, um, and make light, that's a reflection of our, create, our creative ability. We need to remember every day not only that God created, but why God gave man the ability to be creative. Now, I think, according to some people, there's a commandment to work six days a week. It's a Pusk somewhere. We don't plus in that way, do we? But we, um, we're not on the flip side. We have to... We stop working every seven days. The Knesset's trying to change it. <laughs> but what are we going to do? Um, what's forbidden on Shabbat? we call it malach. I think it's creativity that's forbidden it's, I'm not sure if it's right but it's cute but, but I think it works it's creativity that's forbidden making in fact it's that creativity which is all reflecting the creativity we did in the mishkan what are we doing in the mishkan it's almost a type of a the theater where I'm sort of putting on a show it's, I'm hoping I'm using the word theater the right way and then we could probably explain theater much better if anyone from England knows theater better than Americans but the, I understand theater is that you're putting on a show what life is about. You understand life much better. So what are we doing in our day-to-day life? Animals don't build homes. Maybe a nest here and there, but they don't build uh, pyramids. They don't build houses and in, in, like, apartments all down bikes and such. that. They don't build houses and buildings all the time. Who does that? Humans build homes, don't they? So we build a home. We call that, that little mishkan. We build a thing. Um, Man... If you follow civilization pretty much, I think some seven, I forget exactly how many years ago, but around 10,000 years ago or so, or around 5 to 10,000, um, civilization pretty much begins with domestication of animals, with domestication of wheat, the farmer, and domestication of, of, um, of uh, sheep right, and goats and cows. And, and um, what's, that, what's, that, what's that job called? Uh, a shepherd. There's a shepherd and the farmer. Again, it started about 5,000, 10,000 years ago. It pretty much follows Humish history. Now, we're not going to argue over what job is more important and what God cares about more. Or, no, <laughs> we don't get the right between brothers, between kind of hebo there. But there's there's a thing there's a going on that we're... we're um, we use that ability to be creative and, and take God's creation and improve upon it, and we use that in the service of God. How do we do it figuratively in the Mishkan? What animals do we bring every day? The uh, animals that we bring for korbanot are always domesticated animals, aren't they? They're the classic ones, livestock. It's going to be sheep, and they're going to be uh, and um, and cows, which which are part of our day. That's part of our day to day life. So we're taking samples of our day to day life. Shepherds um, taking care of animals and growing animals, and, and especially kvasim, which are the best because you get clothing and food and everything from a kevist. Um I think even clothing. I think isn't clothing. They're are there animals and make clothes? Which animal makes clothing? Oh, they have fur, they don't need that. But what, what did man do? He shed his fur, didn't he? And he makes clothing instead, from different parts, from some some from, from flax, maybe some from, what's flax from? Oh, that's from day three. And sometimes from sheep from day five, I don't want to mix them together. <laughs> what, <laughs> what? <laughs> they, sick. what? They, sick. they sick. what, flax? I'm sorry, day six, right, right, day six. Three and six is even better. Perfect, I'm sorry about that. It makes much more sense that way. Uh, we're not going to mix them up, but we make clothing. But Do we make clothing in the temple? We make a big deal about it, don't we? We make p'diyak kodesh. And they're all the malachot of Shabbat, aren't they? What I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to suggest is that the avodah we do in the mikdash is basically a model of our day-to-day life, of our creativity in our day-to-day life. And what we're doing is, it's not the mikdash that's important, it's the message of the mikdash that's important. And I need to take the message of the Mikdash and I take my creative ability that God blessed me with and not only thank God for that ability to be creative, I don't only just thank God for that ability, but I take that ability and use it constructively. As I, don't, I don't just say thank you, God, for my creativity and you may be better than everybody, but rather, I'm, I'm, I recognize it. I'm not only empowered by that, but a um, notebook, or what, is this some fancy word for it? If I would say better than I would. Um... There's a fancy word for that. No. That that enables not enables me, but also ennobles me. It elevates you, it elevates you to be to do something with it. And now I can become a partner with God in His creation. God entrusted man with civilization. Do I take my creative ability and and do something instructive with it? Now I stop once a week. I stop all creativity to remember that point. I need a time out once a week to reflect on my creativity, on my ability to be creative. And every day there's something symbolic in the mikdash of that creativity. But what I need to do is the acts that I'm doing in the mikdash and everything we're doing is a reflection of our creativity. Even when I bring the animal on the mizbeah and use the fire, which is again, man making fire, and domesticated animals, what comes with the animal? Remember in the Sachim? We don't bring grapes. We don't bring, um, we don't bring water. We bring, we bring wine, wine don't we? Which is, which is, which is man-made and we bring minchat chavitin we bring bread with it we, remember minchat chavitin we don't just bring this flour we don't bring grain we take flour and we bake it special way from so minchat chavitin and that's the nesachim that come with the with the korban but they're all reflections of man's day-to-day life and therefore I think one of the messages of the mikdash is when when I'm serving God in the mikdash when we're putting on this um I guess we call it a theater of some sorts of uh, of our day-to-day life it's not just we're not for sure we're not feeding God God doesn't need to be fed we're doing something symbolic of what day-to-day life is really about I take that experience of the Mikdash and then I apply it to my day-to-day life now I hope you see where we're going with this if the Mikdash becomes the the synagogue the Shul the Mikdash Ma'at then coming to Shul every morning every Shabbat etc is for sure important but the goal of coming to Shul and the goal of coming being involved with the Shul is not so important what you're doing in Shul that's just the, the theater it's what happens when you leave Shul and you live your day to day life, and that was Rabbi Beller. Show sure, like he was probably more member of the community. Everyone who ran out knows Rabbi Beller. Right? He was like he was the first Rabbi of a Chiloni school. I think the idea of involvement with the community. The show was almost an excuse, saying it in a nice way. But his involvement, the show was simply a a beginning. A, the goal wasn't to come to the show. The goal was to leave show, and do something with your life. But your experience in show was supposed to motivate you to become what God wanted you to be. To take your tzel and lokim and do something. Constructed with it Now, I, I want to conclude with something With the same idea from Parshat Um In this week's Remember the Now, now you might think that you, know, you might think the sun is a god I think ancient cultures Everyone knew the sun was a god How can he not be a god? So what do we do when the sun rises? We turn our backs to the sun And bring a korban to God, don't we? We face the other direction of sunrise And we bring, a, we bring An example of our creativity and at the most dangerous time of the day that I might think there's more than one God, I bring a Korban Tamid. That's why I think in the, in the evening, we don't dab a Mimcha at Shia in Mikdash. Remember Mimcha Abdullah? The ideal time to bring a Korban Tamid is at noon, a little bit afternoon. But we bring a Korban every day so we shouldn't think the sun and the moon are gods. Because it's a, it's a big thing you have to fight. So, so, that's a battle worth fighting. Now, but that's a Korban Tamid. In addition to the Korban Tamid, there's additional Korbanot. Uh, Where are they? What parshah are they The additional korbanot? They're in Pinchaz. This week's parshah. So on Shabbat, we bring a double tamid that makes sense with the month. But every day, a Kibbez is fine. Comes the holidays, we're going to read about it this week, on Rosh Chodesh, all of a sudden, God wants a shmorg. You paid attention? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, we have to bring all these extra animals. But they also have a format. Because what animals do we bring? The same, you know, a wider range of them. We bring cows, and we bring rams, and we bring lambs and sheep, and we bring goats. We bring a whole range of them. In different categories, we bring a birth offering, an olah, and a chataf. Now, you remember how it goes, you know, at the heart. What do we bring on Rosh Chodesh? Uh, uh, we bring pariv v'nei sh'naim, <laughs> and seven kwasin. So, the so korban olah is always and a certain amount of cows. Usually, it's two on Rosh Chodesh, either two or one. And on some cases, it goes a little, you know, it, it goes, um, some goes exponential. We have 13 and 12, and we get to 7. We always bring one ayam, correct? And always seven kvasim. I'm sure it's double. But it's always it's always two or one parim, um, one ayo and seven kvasim. That's the burnt offering. What's always the, the sin offering? It's always the <laughs> again, we're talking about <laughs> yeah, a series now we're, the the tzibor, the tzibor, the Jewish people What's called Korbonotzi border in Parshat Bin And where's the money come from? Mm. Who pays for that? Who funds it? Ask Kahlon. What? What? <laughs> yeah. and, and when do we get the, uh, the uh, Machsit no. Now, when, when do we, What do we do to get it? Don't we? do we count, don't we make a sense? Don't we count the people and take the Machsit shekel And bring the Bindu Korban Tamid? I think so. No. Is that what we do? No. no. When you count the people, you make is there is there something about that in this week's parsha also? Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's a Mifkat in parsha b'pinchas, and what follows it? The korbanot The day that the korbanot that we bring with matzit hashkaf follows right afterwards. Now, but the korban chatat is always a series in Machada chatat. Got it? And that's always on, on the holidays. It's always that pattern. Again, sukkis is a double, but that's always that's pretty much the format. What I want to suggest is, again, if I take that theater idea, like the best, the best example of the theater idea is when it comes to Yom Kippur. Because what's the big event on Yom Kippur? Moshe Rabbeinu going to get the second luchot and getting Midot So remember when Moshe goes up to Har Sinai to get the second luchot, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, no one goes in with him. It's just like the Kohen Goto, If I follow the Ramban, that the Kodesh Kodeshim is at the top of Har Sinai. So the Kohen Goto going to the Kodesh Kodeshim, we're reliving. Moshe Rabbeinu going up to get the, the second luchot and Midot and when Moshe comes down with the second lechot, his face is beaming. Remember that song, Murray Cohen? It's the same, it, it's reflecting the same idea. Again, all the details fit, fit it you know, fit very nicely though. But if I want to take that idea to the to Korban Tamid, I want to suggest that the animals that we're bringing are supposed to remind us of stories in Chumash which are core to our existence, to our very existence as Jewish people. So we'll do the easy one. Um, why would I bring an Ayol Ola? What's that supposed to remind me of? Is there a story in Chumash that reminds me of an Ayol Ola? The, the Akedah. That's a no-brainer. But I think Rabban sure brings it down. Now, I'm supposed to, now what the message of the Akedah is, ask your local rabbi. That's complicated. But I'm assuming there's a message about, about the, the, the complex relationship and the tension in our relationship with God. It's between God and men. Um, is there a story about let's take the Sekta Kovan Khatat? Is there a story about a, a Sirizim in, in Breshit? Yes. There's a musical about it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's about collective sin. And they're sure they're doing the right thing. Because he's the other. No, he's the, you uh, know, he's and heart We don't know. We can't hold by him. He'll run on so this other. Um, and, and they're sure it's a good thing. And then all of a sudden, it took him 20 some years. But oh my gosh, we made a mistake. And they do, there's a whole, there's, there's a message of the story about, about Shuvah, about collective sin, about regret, and Shuvah, the whole process. I'm assuming that there better be a message. And therefore, when we gather as a nation, we have to remember the message of Sinat Khinom. So that's going to be the, the, the Sirizim is, oh, the Korban Sibor, the Korban Khatat is always Sirizim. Remember on Yom Kippur, the, the Haruge Machot, you know, from the thing which Chazal says for the same Sinat Chinam? That's what's behind the Rombi or the whole pew. Now, those two are easy. Uh, now, those but those two work. we Where's the story in Brashit about seven lambs? Well, I'll help you out a little bit. When do we read about, what holiday do we read about the Iola HaOlam? On, um on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. What do we read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah? After the Sarah story, we read about Avimelech and Avram Avino. And Avimelech comes to Avram Avinu and says, oh wow, God's with you. He's really into Avram view he's, oh, he's super impressed by Avram It Took him a while. Because God's with you in everything you're doing, because Avram is successful, he's wealthy, he talks about God all the time. And they make a treaty, don't they? And what's the symbol of their treaty? The, the seven kvasim. And, and what do we call that city where they have the seven kvasim? Be'er Sheva. And what's Avram built in Be'er Well. Oh, no. He, he dug wells. What's he built? And what's he plant? Like, Ta'esha be'er And what does he do there as a pastime? Remember Rashi says it's the first Chabad house? <laughs> he calls out, remember? He, he invites people in. He talks. He, he's open house for everybody, but he's always talking about God. I can talk about, that's exactly Rabbi Veller in a, in a nutshell, but that's, follow that rush. You know, it's, it's this total openness, right? And and talking about God all the time, but in a nice way. And other people looking up to him, there's something godly there. I want to connect to that. And that's the idea of being a light to other nations. Um, and then all I need now is Parim. Well, if you know, say for Shvot and Harsinai, which is the most important event, like what we did, remember saying Naseh Benishma? You were there. But when, when you said Naseh Benishma, um, you, someone sprinkled something on you. You remember what happened? No. When, when Moshe took Sefer Abrit and, right? he, he sprinkled Dam Parim. There were Parim. the Parim. Remember the, the, the Agonot? It, it smoked, it He sprinkled and that's the Dam So if I want to sort of summarize, the Dam Parim reminds us of our covenant at Harsinai to be God's people. Reminds us of Harsinai. And when we gather on the holidays, it's to remember that event. As over God's nation, chosen to serve Him. We didn't just receive the Torah, we took upon ourselves the responsibility to be God's people. That's a constant memory. Um, we have to remember the theme of the Akedah, of, of our personal connection to God, and His tension and complexities, and impossible to understand things. We have to remember our need to be a light to other nation, the underlying reason why we're chosen to serve God. That's the seventh class. And we need, that in the Korban Chatat, remembering the ideas of... Uh, of Sinat Khinam and Shuvah and the whole process of Shuvah. So again, again, this is another example how, how the Mikdash, what we're doing in the Mikdash, everything is very symbolic when you understand its sources in Chumash. So to take that idea and apply it to, to Rav I think the connection is obvious where where the Shul, right? or, or everything we do in Shul is symbolic, but it's symbolic of our dedication to being God's people. But part of being God's people is having a message for mankind, not just for yourself, but recognizing not only that God created But why he made man And to appreciate the creative ability that God gave us But to take that creativity and use it constructively And use it to better mankind And to be light and to bring the concept of godliness to mankind That takes action, that takes thinking That takes application, that takes teaching And dedicating your life to that um, Now, Nowadays we don't have a big dash We mourn for it, but we have a shul that replaces it But Chazal quote, a plastic no shea. Remember, un shamal parim sfatainu? can keneged korbanot. So we, we, our tfilot that we have, it's so, even when we brought korbanot, the goal was not the korban, it was not feeding God, the goal was the educational message that came with its symbolism. And therefore, um, what's parallel now to korbanot is tfilah. But tfilah can suffer from the same problem, but tfilah has to be something transformative. It's supposed to remember not just um, that God works for us, but we work for God. And remembering God can do things, but remembering our responsibility to God and not just thanking God for our ability to be creative, not only thanking Him for our ability to be interpersonal and care about other people, but what we do with that creative ability, what we do with our <laughs> how to take that and apply it constructively in our day-to-day life and not get messed up in all these good reasons for know there's always good reasons for it. Um, always logical reasons for Sinatrinam. There, there's um, there's even, um, we read about it all the time, there's good reasons. There, um, but to remember that and, and stay away from that, but to take that creative ability and use it to sanctify life and sanctify mankind and relate and take the concepts of God and apply it to day-to-day society, um, I think that's something that can be our constant memory of uh, when we remember. We have sense of nostalgic memory, but our our process of memory, our cognitive memory of Rabbi Beller, that should affect our day-to-day lives, hopefully can reflect that what a shul is about. So when we come to shul and we live our day-to-day lives, hopefully that memory will be something we can remember all the time. And I'd like
0: to thank very much uh, the speakers, and uh, that that there should be an aliyah and nishmatov. Feller, and we should take these lessons and wise words onward.